All right, praise the Lord. Continuing our series, Sowing Godly Seeds. Amen? And I'm going to read the text scripture, which is Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that have ears to hear, let him hear. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for the privilege once again to partake of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we were able to enter into your presence after praising you and casting aside all of our concerns and just giving you the sacrifice of praise. And right now, we come and sup at your table. and We ask you to feed us manna from heaven, Lord, to bless us, to nourish us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to strengthen us, to guide us. And Lord, even as we're talking about the principle of sowing godly seeds into the beginning of our year, we praise and thank you, Lord, that you'll produce us uh, an abundant harvest, not only for uh, the remainder of this year, but also going into next year and the coming years. We praise you, Father, that the residue, um, the residual growth and the fruitfulness would not just be a one-year thing, but it would be something that would go into uh, the remainder of our life and even be a legacy for our children. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, last week I gave the definition of the word sow, and it means to disperse or plant seed by scattering it on or in the earth. And I gave the example that with things like grass seed, you might just put it in a spreader, pour a bag into the spreader, and walk around the lawn, and you'll see it actually spreading the stuff around. With mine, it does it in a circle. And as I'm walking, I can literally see the this, this seeds spraying out on either side. And in order to coat the, the lawn good, I, I usually do it just like I will mow a lawn. I go on a straight path, go to the end, turn around, go on a straight path, just outside of the boundaries of the path I already left, and I make sure I basically soak, I mean, I mean coat the entire front yard or backyard or whatever I'm doing with a, a, enough seed that I ensure the fact that I'm going to see a, fl- a plush lawn as a result of that. And as we're going out and seeding things into our lives, we shouldn't just be spreading a little bit here and have faith that it's going to be abundant and give us a fruitful harvest that will sustain us for years. We want to spread that thing out as much as we can. And as we saw last week, we don't want to just put out any old kind of seed. We want to spread good seed, not only into our lives, but the lives of the others, because the law of the seed, this is a principle of God. The law of the seed is that it will produce after its own kind. So whatever you put out, that's what you can expect to get back. And that's why it really amazes me that some people can go around treating people any old kind of way, speaking to people all kinds of ways, initiating conflict, causing chaos, being unstable and reliable, but then they think that, you know, why am I never seeing any abundance or fruitfulness in my own life? 
you're getting back the harvest of what you put out there. Amen? And I even had a situation this week where I'd done some work on somebody's website years ago, and the person didn't pay me. He walked away after I contacted him several times, and he had promised to pay me, never paid me. And a few times over the years, one of his associates came to me for some advice and just to be a blessing to her and really as a way of demonstrating that I don't have aught with the person, I would give advice about his site even though he basically jilted me out of that money. So anyway, the situation occurred this week where she approached me again and he's having more and more troubles with this site. He's got a lot of traffic, a lot of people looking at it. It's a weather site and as you deal with inclement weather, He's got a huge audience coming to his site only for it to crash and go down. And she came to me and said, hey, he's tried this. He's tried the hosting company. He's tried all these different things to resolve the situation. Do you think you can help solve it? I said, I can definitely solve it. I said, but see, there's a principle here. I'm a man of principle. I said, if I either do it or have my associate do it, not only are you going to pay me up front for what I do now to resolve the situation, but even though I don't need the money, you're going to pay me the money you owe me in the past. It's just a matter of principle. Because you can't keep coming back to me and me keep giving you insight, which is worth something. It's not just my programming, but my insight is worth something. You can't keep coming back to me every time you're in trouble and then think you can still keep me in a jilted condition. So I said, as a matter of principle, even though I don't even need it, I don't walked away from that mentally and I don't need it financially, you're going to give me the money anyway if you want me to help me. And then the person didn't want to do it, got into an argument. And I told her, I said, really, it wasn't about the money for me. I said, I see some flaws with your relationship with that person. I think they use you, and it actually opened up the door for us to have a conversation where not only was exposed that he's basically used her, but he owes a bunch of other people money, and he actually has been jumping job to job to job. I said, see, he's getting back some of the lack of integrity and the, some of the stuff that he's sowing to the other people's lives. He's getting back in his own life, and he can't get a stable position at a television network but she needed to see it. So th people think, oh, I could do this. I could renege on that. I could promise this and not do that. But at the end of the day, when you find that promises are not being kept in your own life, and you see that there's a lack of, of integrity in the ways that people treat you, and you've lacked integrity in the lives of other people, don't be astounded that the stuff that you're reaping somehow has the same characteristics of what you've put out there in the lives of other people. And I think that's where the problem is. People think, oh, if I do this person wrong and forget about it and I move on, I got a clean slate with anybody else. No. God sees the spiritual seed that you planted to that life, and even though you don't see the repercussions in the life of that person, that same spirit, that same attitude, that same characteristic that was impure in the life of one person could come back to strike you somewhere else because the seed was planted and it grew until it went to another area and now comes back to you. Amen? Principle of the seed. And the thing is, we don't, like the we don't necessarily have to like the principle, but whether we like it or not has no bearing whatsoever on God making sure that it comes to pass according to how we dispersed it. Amen? It don't matter. I can say one day I don't like the law of gravity. I can say next day I don't like the law of gravity. I can scream from the rooftops. As a matter of fact, I can go to the roof of this tall building and say, I hate the law of gravity. And I hate it so much that I'm done with it. Me and gravity are done. I could jump and break my neck coming off the roof of that building. <laughs> Just because I don't like gravity doesn't mean it won't work on me. And it's the same thing with the law of the seed. So that's why we have to be careful. We put out good 
versus bad seeds, not only in our own lives, but in terms of what we plant into the lives of other people. Because you're going to get back the same crop that you either scattered or you embedded into the ground at that place where you were frequenting. And as I said, seeds are innately or inherently equipped to produce what they're made out of. Amen? You ever notice that? You go cause a little mess in somebody's life, it doesn't take a lot for it to grow and explode. It only takes a little bit. (laughs) You don't have to put a lot of chaos into somebody's life to make a, a war zone. Just a little bit. Why? Because in that little thing you plant, it has the inherent characteristics within itself to grow on its own, multiply, and come back even bigger than what you put out. That's why a little comet can make a civil war. That's why a little action could cause a ripple effect of actions going on and on and on for months or years. Amen? Because they innately have within themselves what they need to grow and prosper for good and for bad. Ouch. (laughs) So we're going to continue on this week. And one of the first things I want to look at is that the scope of seeds extends far beyond where they were initially planted. The scope, or you may say the influence, uh, the circle of influence, influence, the area, the radius, however you want to carry, I mean, characterize it. Basically, what I'm saying is that you can plant a seed in your backyard, but don't think that the life of that seed you planted stops there. I could plant seeds in Voorhees, and yet, at some point, you may see the repercussions of the seeds I planted in the Voorhees over in Berlin, Cherry Hill, maybe Willenboro at some point, maybe over in Philadelphia. I could plant it in my backyard, but that thing can grow and multiply in such a way, and I'm going to demonstrate that to you, that eventually that thing can end up states away, even though I planted it in my backyard. I'm going to prove that. <laughs> I'm going to give some examples. So like I said, all those seeds are always scattered onto the ground or planted into the soil at the location of the sower. Their eventual range extends far beyond where they were initially dispersed, even if it occurs after they come to maturity or if it doesn't happen in that seed itself, it can happen via the offspring that they generate after they come to maturity. So the seed itself you plant may not do it, but the offspring of that seed can go beyond where the initial plant was. So as an indirect result, you may plant one thing and maybe it stays right there, but its offspring and their offspring and so on and so on can grow until the radius and the area that they impact can spread much further than the initial seed that you planted at one specific location. Seeds, when they are transported, and this is important for you to know, when you plant a seed somewhere, the seed doesn't define where it eventually gets rooted a lot of times, you know, if you're scattered it. But all the seeds come with the capacity to be transported. And although there are many types of seeds, I'm going to share a couple just to give you an example of how seeds can start off in one place, but they can expand the radius far beyond what you ever could imagine in terms of where they eventually cause a harvest to grow. The first type I want you to see are called burrs. You're familiar with these, I believe. Burrs, or as they are otherwise known, 
spiky seed pods cannot travel under their own power. But they'll, they will use, now listen, but spiky seed pods or burrs cannot travel on their own power, but they will use their hooks or teeth to cling to animal fur, clothing, and other things. Notice the words. They'll sink their hooks or their teeth into something. They look kind of innocent. But the reason they annoy you, if you look at the picture on the right here, <laughs> we see in the first picture, you can see kind of like the curvature at the top of the spike. And that is what's referred to as either the hook or the teeth. And we see the effect. Somebody walking through a field, sitting out, you know, in a field somewhere, all of a sudden, ouch. And you got a bunch of these seed pods, burrs, stuck on your leg. And matter of fact, if you're not careful when you're trying to pull those things off, you actually, ow, you stick your finger because of the hooks or the teeth that those burrs have in them. Matter of fact, these hooks or teeth are very irritating. They're hard to remove. And in the commercial world, they actually were used as an inspiration for Velcro. <laughs> you know the little Velcro? I actually have some Velcro inside of my jacket. I have this little pocket that when you pull at it, you can actually hear it as it separates. You've got to force the hooks to disengage each other so that you can open up the pocket, stick something in, and instead of having a zipper to go up and down or a button or a snap, you push it back together, and there it's, re it's rehooked again until the next time you have to peel it apart. And that's just how these things act. And as we see here, even though they don't have the capability to walk, run, swim, or fly, they use living agents or hosts to transport themselves into other areas, usually through an unintentional or unappreciated attachment. <laughs> How many people are happy to get a burst stuck to their leg? So you don't appreciate it. And a lot of times, you don't even realize it. It wasn't intentional. You're just walking around. You're coming through a field. You get home like, oh. You might be, you might have walked five miles <laughs> with this thing hooked to your leg, didn't realize it, and then finally you get home and like, oh, there it is. And what do you do? A lot of times you take it off, and if you're still outside of your house, instead of in, if you're inside the house, you probably throw it in your trash can. If you're outside the house before you go in, what do you do? Detach that burr, throw it into the yard, and guess what? You transported that seed from one location to another location. It didn't ask you to move. It didn't say, hey, Brian, can I hook myself to your leg and travel from this park over to your backyard and plant myself? It didn't ask that. You were unaware of it because you would have left it at the place where you first got hooked. So this thing is able, even though it doesn't have its own capabilities to transport itself, it, it is allowed to be transported through an unintentional and, like I said, usually unappreciated attachment. Let's look at the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. All right, so we see here, God tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and you might even say, you can extend that and say, if there's believers, they know the Lord, but they're not necessarily living right, you shouldn't be all intertwined with them, because it basically can lead you into actions or having attributes that are contrary to the Word of God. And we see here that it says, what concord or harmony or unity does the temple of the Holy Ghost or Christ have with Belial, with idols? We should not have that within us, that we're closely connected to things that are inappropriate. And God tells us to separate ourselves and don't touch the unclean thing. But as we see here with these seed pods, they are able to hook themselves or use their teeth to cling onto us in an unintentional or unappreciated attachment. And we have to look at our lives and say, do I have any burrs that have attached themselves to me in my everyday life? You know, what things have sunk their hooks or their teeth into my life that I am now connected with? through the seeds that either I planted into somebody's life or somebody planted into mine. And am I going to continue to not only allow that attachment to stay hooked to me, but am I not only going to allow that to be hooked to me and irritate me, but will I continue to transport that burr from place to place to place? Amen? <laughs> so we have to examine ourselves. What things have sunk their nasty little hooks or teeth into us? Or what things have we implanted or embedded into the lives of other people? And if we're truly trying to have a tremendous harvest from a spiritual perspective in the year 2014, that as we're starting out now, we have a clean slate, and we want December 31st to be a day in which we can look back and say, wow, this is an incredible year. We have to examine what things do we carry into the year what things are we now allowing to get attached to us? What attachments are we forming with other people? And is it going to lead me to the type of year I want in 2014 that I envision on January 1st? I'm sure all of us want to have a productive year. So we have to be careful. When a farmer is planting crops, he expects to get the same type of crops. If I put, if I plant, you know, I come from a background of family members in the state of North Carolina. And my grandparents had a farm with tobacco. When they planted tobacco out there in the field, they did not expect pear trees. They expect to get tobacco. Bad for you. <laughs> Bad habit smoking. But the reality is when they planted tobacco, they expected to get tobacco. And they would be shocked if they got something else. Same thing with us. If we want this to be a fruitful year, what are we planting down in the initial stages of the year? Because the same way that a farmer will plant down his crops and he will weed it and uh, nurture it, put water on it, give it sunlight, what things are we planting early in this year and what kind of harvest do we anticipate by the end of the year? We need to be careful. And the first part of that is looking at the attachments. What things have sunk their teeth into us? What that we need to disconnect? <laughs> and what things have we maybe hooked into the lives of others that shouldn't be there? Amen? All right. The next type of seed I'm going to look at 
there are actually two types of plants that have this type of seed. And whereas the one was transported through an unintentional and an unappreciated attachment, this other one is, is actually probably easier to transmit. And we find it in the type of seeds that dandelions and trees such as maples disperse. All right, so I'm going to show another picture. We're all familiar with these. We used to play with them. <laughs> I mean, I know I did. That's the seed pod of a dandelion. And we see here the typical thing that children do. And even as adults, you might see one in the yard have a nostalgic moment and just rip it up by the stem, blow on it, and watch the seeds scatter out there in the wind. And sometimes it doesn't even take a person to do it. Sometimes it's just a, 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 a windy enough day that it just blows. Those things start detaching themselves from the plant. And as we know, it could travel to another spot in the yard or that wind can literally blow it for miles before it finally lands and settles itself and roots itself into the ground. Uh, if you look at it from the perspective of, of the maple tree, that's something more along the lines of, um, we used to call them helicopters. You remember the little seeds that looked like they have a wing on them, and we'd throw them in the air, and they would spin around and look almost like a propeller of a helicopter? I should have brought a picture. You know what I'm talking about? It basically has like a fat seed pod on the end, and then it has a thing that looks up, comes up like a blade, and you throw it in the air, it'll spin around and kind of like twirl in the air. I'll have to show you all later then. But anyway, both of them are scattered by the wind, and they travel long distances depending on the intensity of the wind. Amen? So what this com comes to mind is if some things, some seeds that are transported don't do it necessarily through attachments but do it through the air, what things are we speaking or blowing into the air? Amen? You know, what things are you saying at one location that maybe are attaching themselves and going and being spoken further and further and further? Maybe you spoke it into more ears than you intended. Or maybe you spoke it into one ear and that person takes it and takes it somewhere and then they s you know, speak it again. And it spreads and spreads. And in, in this day and age, it can go out and... and, and um, a text message, you can go out in an email, you can go out in a phone conversation, you can go out in a social media forum such as Facebook or Twitter. The things that we put off in the air, you don't know how far those things can travel. And the scripture the Lord gave me in regard to this is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit down, that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we see here, God has quickened us from the dead. Previously, we were walking around like others with the mindset of the world system. And it says that we were children of wrath. 
and we were basically subject to do the works of darkness because we were children of disobedience. But God says he has now liberated us from those things. However, even though his sinless blood has paid the price for us and we have eternal life, it doesn't mean that we can't fall back into the, um, the attributes and the behavior of people that were children of disobedience, speaking and uh, announcing and gossiping and saying things that are associated with the world system. And as we see here, if we allow ourselves to speak in a manner that is contrary to the word of God, Satan, who the, the word is describing here, is the prince of the power of the air, has the capability to take those things and make sure now what was said in one place can now spread outwardly and hit a lot of ears and have a lot of impact. And there's nothing more that he would like to do. Listen, just look at how he's phrased. Prince of the power of the air. <laughs> so if a dandelion or a maple seed can, through somebody blowing on it, or the wind come along, spread that thing for miles and miles away, what do you think the prince of the power of the air can do with the things that we allow to come out of our mouths? And then what things are getting planted elsewhere that you never even thought the words could reach. So we have to ask ourselves, do we realize that the words or actions that we impart into the lives of others at one location have the capacity to travel to other lands? We'll just phrase it as that. Other lands far away where the impact is being felt. And here's the thing, not only can the impact be felt but since it, it, it falls under the, the characteristics or the laws of the principle of the seed, not only could it land somewhere else that you didn't mean it to frequent, but because it's based upon a seed, it can multiply and grow and grow and grow and grow. Amen? So that makes it <laughs> a little more <laughs> important, more significant. When we think about the fact that we can say something here, you may say, oh, I didn't really mean it, or I had a bad moment, or ah, I was just playing around. But a lot of times, because the prince of the power of the air is involved, it doesn't matter what the intent is. He'll twist that thing and make sure it does as much damage as possible once it travels and multiplies itself. And you know, I've shared it before, and we've all seen examples of that. Somebody will say one thing could be totally innocence. By the time it gets to the next person, they add a little flavor to it, the next person adds a little color to it. The next person says, well, this story's not quite juicy enough, so I'll just put a little piece in here. Or, you know, well, I kind of wanted to say something about that person anyway, so I'll just add a little something to make it a little uglier. And next you know, you said one thing and 20 things or 100 things get communicated elsewhere by the time it lands somewhere else. And that's with it not multiplying yet. <laughs> so by the time the enemy gets himself attached to it and helps it grow and spread, he only wants to do mischief and damage. So do you really think he's going to allow the cute and pretty stuff to get through? No, he's going to allow all the ugly, ugly stuff to fester and grow so that it can cause as much impact and ungodly um, receptivity as possible. Amen? Hallelujah. So that being the case, we looked at good and bad seeds, 
and I'm sure we can all agree that we only want to plant godly things in our own lives so we can get a harvest back, but also we want to be people of godly impact. So we don't want to spread a lot of corruption and impurities and mess elsewhere. We want to be the producers of, uh, of go- God's goodliness and kindness and mercy and grace in the lives of others. That being the case, we have to realize, too, that whether it's in our own lives or the lives of other people, the receptivity of the soil affects the life of the seeds that we plant. I'll say it again. The receptivity of the soil affects the life of the seed. And God has given us things that are within us, things that he wants us to plant, things he wants us to cultivate. And if that's the case, he wants us to monitor and be engaged with them on a daily basis. And as we do that, there's certain criteria that we need to establish to ensure that the things that we're planting in our own lives and the lives of other people are viable. So we're going to go over to the book of Mark, and we'll look at chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Mark 4, 14 through 20. The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution Persecution ariseth for the word's sake. Immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. All right, so we see here that the sower, first of all, sows the word. And that's basically demonstrating that we all have creative capabilities within us as well as the capability to plant seeds in our lives as well as the lives of others everywhere we go. We are all in this room sowers. We may do it differently, but each one of us are sowers that are always producing and having impact in the lives of other people, whether we realize it or not. I mean, that's why sometimes you'll see uh, a perfect example. Uh, my mother at her funeral, when I went to it, of course, it was a very sad day, but I was actually blessed as I was arriving at the church because it's like, oh my God, there's cars in every direction as far as the eye can see. <coughs> my mom never preached a word. But she's a great sower because there have been people that hadn't seen her in 10, 20 years that upon hearing her passing, they had to be there because of what she had planned in their lives. And they all had a similar story. She's just such a blessing to me, such a kind person, never had a bad word. She was a sower but didn't realize the type of effect she had. And I was blessed to see the legacy of all the love she had planted out there in the lives of so many people. So think about 
us. And I'm not telling us to, to think about our, our death day, but I'm saying that it just really makes you realize that whether you think about it or not, you are sowing all the time. But we have to make sure it's good stuff that we're sowing so we can have a similar type of impact. So we see here the sower soweth what? The word. Amen. And hopefully it's the word of God. <laughs> because as we've already seen, you can sow some words. It's your choice of the type of words that you choose to sow. So we see here the sower sowed the good word. But even with the good word being sown, it says the enemy, as soon as he realized that you're planting something good in the lives of somebody else, he's like, oh, I got to mess that up. Shoot, they might mess around and get saved on that. Or that person was anxious or afraid or depressed, discouraged, despondent. And if I allow that word to just sit there, it's going to become a plant. It's going to root itself, and it's going to strengthen the person that just heard it. So I need to come in immediately with fear and depression, and I need to rip up the impact of what those words had in the life of that in individual before it produces something that is fruitful in their lives. So the enemy realizes the power of the good words that we put out, even if we're going around, well, I didn't think it was a big deal. The devil thinks it's a big deal. That little seed that you plant in the life of somebody else, the devil sees that as something that is significant. And you may say, oh, I never bless everybody. I'm not the evangelist. I'm not the preacher. Or what value do I really have for the kingdom? The devil has more respect for your words than you ever will. If you have that mindset. Because as soon as you've sown that word of God into their life, the enemy sees that it's so vital, so life impacting, that he tries to come in and immediately destroy its effect before it can bless the person that you impacted. So he gives a lot more credit to your power and your authority and the words coming out of your mouth that are seated with God's righteousness than, than we necessarily do. Because he's threatened to the point, he says, I need to go and destroy it immediately. But we say, oh, I have no impact. <laughs> and it's got the kingdom of darkness's full attention. We got to destroy that word. That person can get saved. But we say, even <clears throat> if he does not get to destroy it immediately, it says that there's a receptivity factor in the life of a person that heard that word, or in our case, if we're speaking over our own lives, there's a certain onus on us how well we receive or we speak that word and we respond to that word. If you're speaking something godly over yourself and the next minute you're saying, oh, why even bother trying to speak hopefully? I know nothing's going to change. You just choked up the very word you spoke over yourself. Amen. And it's the same thing in the lives of other people. If you're speaking things in their life, and then you say, well, I spoke it, but I ain't seen no change in the behavior. Oh, I'll just waste my time. You're choking the seed. So we have to have the mindset that if we're going to take the time to speak the word of God, that when it comes to us being on the receiving end, and we are the field where that seed is being sown, whether we're receiving it from somebody else or we're speaking over our own selves, we have to make sure nothing occurs that hardens our hearts, that chokes the effect of the word, that makes us disbelieve the word, 
we have to, if necessary, have blind faith to say, it doesn't matter what I see right now, I'm still going to trust in this word. I'm allow it to root itself deep into my heart and my mind. And no matter what the circumstances I see, I'm going to hold on to that word for dear life because I know it's going to produce something in me. Amen. I might not see it next week. I might not see it next month. But I can see it's there. I believe in it. I trust God to make it fertilize and grow and, and not only grow but reproduce after its own kind. I'm believing God that this word is going to produce something in my life no matter what I see right now. Let's <laughs> got this. Every field, every plant deals with storms. Every field Every plant deals with storms. Matter of fact, I want you all to get that first. Matter of fact, the plant cannot grow and thrive and reproduce without storms. What field of flowers have you ever seen that sat out there in a deserted area where it never rained and grew again another season? The flowers needed the storm because even though they may not like the wind or the lightning, they sure did need the rain. <laughs> so sometimes we hate the storms, but the reality is if we didn't have the storm, we couldn't grow. We couldn't become more resilient. We couldn't reproduce and have a greater harvest after we survived the storm that came our way. Even in the midst of the storm, God brings rain, in other words. And even if it's something like a, a, a blizzard, eventually the sun melts the snow, produces water. <laughs> even in the storms, God can bring nourishment and sustenance and make us stronger. Amen? So don't reject the storm. Don't hate the storm. Realize that God's going to get you through the storm and absorb the nutrients that God's providing you even in the midst of it. Amen? Hallelujah. I just got that. That's good. Got to remember that one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we see the different characteristics of the receptivity or of the soil. Amen? And that's not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people. We have to be resilient and flexible and pliable and allow ourselves to be soft enough in heart that the things that are planted into our lives can grow and grow with deep roots. We can't be un unstable. And one day we believe in the word of God, and the next we don't trust in it because you'll never get roots that grow deep. Amen? The reason that a tall tree can stand so high is not because the power of what you see on the surface. It's because the level and the depths of the roots that are down deep into the ground. Go look at any tree in your backyard or in your neighborhood as you're driving down the street. Look at any tree. The taller that tree, the thicker and longer the roots beneath the surface. Amen? So that's why it's so important. If you want to be strong and grow up firm and stable and straight in God, you've got to allow stuff to root itself down deep because the stuff that is not seen, is more important than the stuff that you see on the surface. Matter of fact, 
You look at the, the tallest tree. The reason it's sustained is because of the deep root system down below that is sucking up the moisture that it needs to keep itself alive. Amen? And yes, it does need the leaves to bring in the oxygen and stuff like that, but even more so, it needs those roots that are down deep. And if you have a strong storm that comes your way, you ever see a tree that's toppled over? It's usually because either the ground got so soft that the roots couldn't stay stable, or it was not rooted down deep enough, and you'll see the roots finally come up out of the ground. That's what causes that tree to topple over. When the ground gets too soft or the roots are not deep enough. But as long as that tree has good, solid ground and those roots are, are deep, that thing can get struck by light and it'll still stand. Amen? So we have to allow the word that's getting seeded into our lives to root itself deep and also has to be on good, solid ground stable ground in God as we're going around interacting with other people and expecting a harvest in their lives amen we need to help be a part of the process of producing that same kind of stable soil in them as well as planting good godly things into them that they could trust in and believe in amen and even though they may waver back and forth here and there we need to speak to them in such a way we keep pointing them back to standing up straight in God and continue to have faith and allow the things we plan in them to root themselves down deep. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so seeds initially sustain. They, seeds actually, they have what they call a seed pod. If you ever look at a seed and you open it up, you'll see it actually has, I forget exactly what it's called. It has um, the seed, the kernel of the seed is actually surrounded by some stuff. That's actually the nutrients that it has built into the seed, amen, inside the shell and everything to nurture that seed until it gets planted down into the ground and it could get nutrients after it cracks out of that seed pod and get it from the ground. But initially, the seed itself contains some initial things to sustain it until it gets rooted somewhere, amen? But that shows you that even though it internally has stuff inside of it, I think they call it the fruit, it has that inside of it to sustain itself temporarily no seed is an island to itself to thrive at some point it has to be planted in the ground somewhere same with us we are not god placed something in us that will sustain us for a while but at some point we can't be floating all over the place and you can't be so independent that Nobody can ever help me or advise me or speak to me or comfort me. I, just me, myself, and I and God. And I don't trust nobody. You can't be an island to yourself. At some point, you've got to be rooted somewhere where you can get nutrients from external sources. You can't just float around all the time. Because if you're an island unto yourself, at some point, you'll be isolated, your shell will be hard. <laughs> And you may finally rot out or dry up because at some point you're going to need something outside of yourself to enable you to get to the full potential of what God wants you to be. And we'll see a lot of times with seeds initially, they have hard shells. But those shells must be cracked and exposed to the outer world in order for them to truly grow. So some of us may have had some hard circumstances that we faced in life. But you can't be 
spending your entire life, especially God, with a hard, excuse me, outer shell that never gets exposed. Well, I'm never going to trust anybody. I'm never going to open up anybody. I'm never going to listen to anybody. You're going to die off. You can't sustain yourself like that with a hard shell. You got to let the cracks eventually, you ain't got to, boom, open up totally, but you got to allow the thing to crack open, even if it's gradually, expose yourself little by little until finally you can be nourished, amen? And that doesn't mean you expose yourself to everybody, but it means that you need to realize that in and of yourself, you can start out and be stable, but at some point, we all, God will put somebody in your life, and he'll also cultivate things in you that you'll get your nourishment outside of yourself. We're not islands unto ourselves. We're not totally sufficient or adequate. We need a touch from outside of ourselves to help us to truly grow and, flour- and flourish. As I said, we talked about ground. Seeds planted into good ground, stable ground, solid ground. Um, moist ground can grow and replenish and cause a harvest. But seeds that are planted to unsuitable ground um, will die off quickly. Another thing, too, you got to realize is that you could put different types of seeds have different capabilities. I could plant a cactus in the desert, and the cactus can grow and flourish because it doesn't need a lot of water, and a few times it waters will be enough for it to absorb enough to sustain itself for a while. Amen? But if I plant a rose where I try to plant the cacti, that rose is done in a couple days. Why? It can't stand or tolerate or sustain itself on the same type of ground as the cacti. So as we're looking at our own selves and what we're trying to plant and cultivate and grow in this year and the years to come, you can't go out anywhere and just do what God's called you to do. Nor can you try to impart what's in you or plant what's in you and expect it to grow if you're taking what's in you and what God has envisioned for you and planting it somewhere where it's not meant to be. It's got to be the right ground. I can't go to the club. Well, some people call it that. I ain't. I can't go to the club and build a church. God's not calling me to that. There are some people that call it that. That's why I can't say nobody's called to that. But for me, I know that I can't go there and try to plant seed for the church. I'm not called to do that there. Somebody else might be able to do it. For me, there's other avenues and places where I need to plant stuff. And it's the same thing in terms of business, in terms of relationships, in terms of Uh, just all manner of things in our lives. Amen. I think a lot of times people are trying to cause something to be cultivated or to flourish. And if you really look at the ground where they're trying to seed those things emotionally, spiritually, financially, the reason is you're not prospering and getting a harvest is not necessarily that God did not intend you for you to have it. It might be that you're planting it into the wrong place or to the wrong people. So if you've been planting five, ten years of tobacco and you never see a healthy tobacco plant, you need to go back and maybe do a little research and say, whoa, you can't plant, to, ro- let's go back to my cact- cacti and roses. <laughs> you've been trying to grow roses for 20 years in the Sahara Desert. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. 
uh, unless you well unless you in this day and age with technology you could bring in external sources and yeah have water i'm saying like if, if we do it based upon god's divine plan with nature unless god supernaturally decides to give you a rainstorm you could try for 20 30 years the rest of your life to grow roses out in the middle of the sahara desert and outside the divine hand of god if you don't use technology you will never grow roses so for you to sit there, 10, 20, 30, you, why am I not getting a harvest of roses? You're planting it in the wrong place. <laughs> you plant over here in New Jersey, you have multiple generations of roses. Matter of fact, you can say, I want pink, I want red, I want yellow, I want white. I, I'm going to do all different kinds of roses. Woo, roses just all over the place because it's a suitable ground for roses. So it's the same thing with us. You know, in our finances, in our relationships, in our spiritual growth, in our health, whatever areas that we're trying to cultivate and grow this year, if you've been doing it over and over again and yet it's never brought you any kind of harvest back, maybe it's simply the wrong ground. And so, in other words, you're not being instructed not to try to get the harvest you desire. The instruction is stop seeding, watering, putting down, <laughs> you know, fertilizer in that soil it's unproductive ground stop planting there find yourself another field <laughs> and in some cases things are planted in a suitable field but you haven't fertilized them right amen you have not watered them right you have not um, nurtured them right you know I, I've had that before with plants out in the backyard and just or the front yard and like man it died off I even learned something this year. I had these beautiful lilies that came up and everything. It looked incredible. Came back. Uh, we had that, that heat, that hot spell. It was just blazing hot for a couple weeks. And I got out there watered every day, and it, it's just losing battle. I kept start seeing, like, you know, the turning brown and stuff. And according to instructions, they're supposed to be able to take a lot of sunlight. So I'm like, it's not it's the sunlight's not the issue. Well, maybe it's the heat. Well, I, I water more, more times a day, and I, I learned something after the fact that I think if I had changed the fertilizer that I use under underneath the surface and put the, some of that down there first, they may have sustained. So I know that when they start coming up next year, I'm gonna take steps to put stuff under the soil. They'll help feed it more. Hopefully, that'll resolve the problem. But so the ground was good. They grew. They looked beautiful. They were tall. They got about that tall. But then somewhere along the line, because I didn't know how to nurse them properly, they didn't last through the entire summer, and they died off. So we need to understand not only where we need to plant, but if we are called to plant something somewhere, how's the, how do I need to nourish it? Because it could vary. And one of the things that we t talked about was the receptivity of soil. Um, also, like I said earlier, the soil must provide a solid foundation for seeds to grow. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11. First Corinthians six. I'm sorry. First Corinthians three. Six through eleven. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, 
but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other, lo for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All right. So we see here, one person can plant, another person water. But at the end of the day, it's up to God to cause the things that you are planting to be productive. Amen. And that shows us, too, that in this cycle of our lives, you may not necessarily have to do everything to cause a harvest. We see here, I planted, Apollo watered, one person planted, another person watered. But like I said, God is the one that finally um, can come forth with the uh, authority and the decision and his will to make it be productive and produce a harvest. But that shows us that we may have to interact with others to have that fruitfulness, which goes back again to none of us is necessarily an island unto ourselves. Amen. Now it says that he that plants and water for one and every man should receive his own reward. Whether you do something in your own life or in the life of somebody else to cause um, a harvest to grow in your life. Like I said, it could be um, your career. It could be some academic pursuits. It could be relationships. It could be finances, whatever it is, whatever you're trying to cultivate and grow in your life. You may not necessarily, you probably, won't, that's, you probably won't have to go out and do it all on your own. There's others in your life that will come in and interact with you that can help you get to the place that you're called to be. But the great thing about this, though, we see that it says God gives the increase. So no matter what somebody does to help you, God's the one that gets the eventual glory for everything that's occurring in your life. Amen? And you know, the thing I don't like is it, it, there's time in your life where somebody's helping you, and then when you arrive, all of a sudden, oh, I get all the credit, or you owe me this or that. Well, if somebody's got that attitude, find yourself somebody else to help you. Amen? Somebody that truly means well for your life, they'll be so pleased with the fact that you arrived at your place of success that they may appreciate, oh, well, let me take you out to dinner, or I really thank you, and here's a card, or I just thank you verbally. But they don't feel that you owe them anything. Amen? They're proud of the fact that you got there. <laughs> so if somebody has that kind of mindset that you're going to owe them something, once you arrive, then that's not the right person to support you or be a mentor or a motivator in your life. And you need to find somebody. God will have somebody in your life that will help propel you to your destiny without having that kind of mindset. And the thing is, that person might speak some things that you may not necessarily appreciate, things that step on your toes, things that you don't want to hear about yourself that are true. <laughs> but even when they're speaking and it sounds negative or it bruises your ego or gets in your nerves, if they mean well for you, it's still to help you get to what God has for your life. Amen? And I'd rather have somebody that'll speak the truth and step on my toes than somebody that'll sit back and watch me make a mess of myself. That's not a true friend. The Word of God says faithful are the wounds of a friend. It didn't say faithful are the got on my last nerve statements of a friend. It said no, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend will knock you upside your head. 
if that's what it takes to save your life. I remember years ago, one of my friends was talking about getting married, and I just knew, I personally saw and heard through other people certain things that were, were not right with this girl. And I tried to warn him, and we got to the point where we were almost like going to blows. We were best of friends. I was like almost in tears. I was so upset because like, you know, she's going to hurt you. And he didn't hear it. He had to marry her, and I didn't end up in the wedding party, but I guess because I didn't approve. But I was right, and, you know, they eventually got divorced. Um, but, the, but the thing is, even if I had to go to blows with him and risk our relationship, I loved him enough as my friend that even if I'm not only kicked out of your wedding but kicked out of your life, I'm going to fight to prevent you from doing something that's going to hurt you. That's a friend. Got me kicked out of the, the wedding party, but <laughs> I still stand by what I did. Amen? Because <laughs> I, I just knew stuff wasn't right. But um, not necessarily everybody else would do that, but that's how I am. If I got to step on your toes, I'm your friend, I will step on your toes, and I would expect somebody to do the same. I can get mad at you now, and we can celebrate my victory later, and vice versa. But to have somebody to sit there and nod their head and be a yes man, or as the word of God shows with jo Jonadab, have you do something that will destroy your life, that's not a true friend. Amen. That's somebody that has a poor motive or they're not mature or they're not integral if they try to sit back or they will sit back and watch you just do stuff to shipwreck your life. So we see here the soil of our lives, the things that we're planting must have a solid foundation for the things in our life to grow. Amen. You need to have stability um, as God leads you to interact with others. You join forces together to pursue mutual fruitful goals. And that was another thing I did early on, even before I was saved. I was also somebody who was interested in academics. I always wanted to do something in my life. And I had friends and I had cousins that when I was in elementary school, we were inseparable. We played football, baseball, tag. <laughs> we made slingshots. We made go-karts. We played, I mean, we, we fished on the river. We did everything together. We were inseparable. But then we got a certain place in life where, you know, they just wanted to get high all the time. And I was like, all right, well, we played basketball for a couple of hours. And then they were getting ready to get together, do that. I was like, all right, see you all later. Oh, come on, man. Like, nah, that's cool. I'll see you all tomorrow. And sometimes I would go hang out with them and, um, you know, drink a couple of brews and uh, watch some sporting event and stuff like that. Because I wanted to show them I still cared about them, especially my cousin. But I was like, I'm not going to make this an everyday practice. Especially, I'm not going to start doing cocaine and some of the harder stuff they eventually start doing. So I was like, I love you. Y'all my boys. Y'all my friends. In one case, you're my cousin. But there's certain things I need in my life to be stable and to be the foundation for my future that I'm not going to deter for them, even for the sake of a close relationship. Some of them are dead now. Some of them have health problems. And the thing, is, funny thing is, they all respect me highly. And some of them older than me, they call me big brother now. <laughs> hey, big brother. I mean, you're three years older than me. <laughs> but it's because of the level of, of, of respect because they see how I've conducted my life. And some of us, too, because they see I'm a man of God. So, you know, I don't point out to them, man, you're four years older than me. How am I your big brother? I'm just like, okay. If that's where God's taking us now, praise God. Amen. But we see here the importance of a solid foundation. Amen. You want the future to be solid and stable, 
it start, the process starts now. Amen? If your life is unstable, find a way to stabilize it. Go to others for advice to help you stabilize it. Don't sit there and, and try to pull yourself out in quicksand continually, and that's the state of sta- status of your life. Always fighting, always sinking under. Find a way to get solidity and stability into your life. Because there are people out there who will help you get there. And God himself, if he sees you making decisions to get yourself on the right track, God himself will step in and intervene and give you that, that solid foundation. And that's one of the things we have to realize here as we're talking about a solid foundation. And as we see here, it says, I have planted Apollo's water. God gave the increase. Then in, in verse 10, it talks about, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. And then it says, take heed how you build thereupon. And it says, no other foundation can man lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. If we're not having a fruitful life, if we're not having a lot of stability, are you including Christ in the planting of the seeds of your life? Or are you going out planting stuff on your own? And are you only spreading fruits of the flesh? What kind of seeds are we planting down on a daily basis? Is this something that is fruitful in God, something stable in God, and something founded upon his principles? Or are we going out there in our flesh and saying, I want a little of this, I want a little of that, and then we're going to be mad later on, we get the consequences that's more chaos and instability of our lives. Amen? And we have to realize, even well-meant actions or words can cause damage if they're not directed under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows the perfect time and season to disperse seeds into other people's lives. And he also knows the proper time and season for us to plant and to start embarking on new goals and, and, and things that we envision and desire. God knows the perfect time and season. Amen? Just think about that. <laughs> in, 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 in the colder months, you go down to Florida, North Carolina, different places, a lot of times they had the fields, they're, they're covering them up with plastic and everything. Why? It's not the planting season. In the spring, they're putting stuff down, they're planting, they're watering, they're fertilizing, they're weeding, because it's the proper season. The ground is, is, is ripe to have seed planted into it. And then they go through the cycle of, of, of taking care of it, and then they get the harvest, and then they say, okay, we're going to leave the field alone. And it gets hard during the winter months. You don't plant stuff on the ground that's out of season because you shouldn't have any expectation if it's the wrong season that you're going to get a harvest. But then there's a lot of people that do that. We just think, oh, I ain't got to wait for God's time. I'm going to do it now. And then you get nothing back but dried up seeds. Why, God, why don't you bless this, God? You plant in the wrong season. <laughs> I go outside in my backyard right now. The, the yard is cold. The ground is hard. I mean, you can walk on the ground or fall on the ground. You can feel it's harder than it is in the summertime. So I go out there right now, and I try to plant some spring flowers. I'm wasting my time. I'm, all you're doing is getting exercise, digging a hole in the ground, putting down the seeds, and trying to water it. You're just wasting your time. The ground is too hard, and even if the water starts to grow, the cold above the ground, if that plant starts to come up, will kill it. It's the wrong season. But I'm patient enough to wait a couple months, 
it's a perfect time. The ground gets softer. The, the air temperature is warmer. The sun is out brighter. The cycle of rain for the spring months has come back around. And it's the perfect time to plant and have an expectation that I can grow something. So one of the things we've got to look at, too, is what things does God have you planting in this time of season? Amen? And what things did he tell you you needed to wait because it's not the proper time to establish this? So don't do it now, but do it in a few months. And in the things that he wants us to do right now, how are we cultivating them? How are we taking care of it? How are you nursing it so that it can grow? And that's something key about that. To produce a great harvest, you must nurture the seeds that you plant. Do you realize that seeds of various types require different amounts of exposure? The amount and type of food, water, and sunlight that will cause one plant to prosper will kill another one. I actually saw that when I was um, at Home Depot a couple years ago and I picked the plants that I was getting for the front yard. It says that they could take a lot of sunlight, but actually it had a warning on there that if I didn't read it, I could have killed the plants. It says do not water, it said do not overwater them. And some people think, oh, I could just water them as much as I want. The more water, the better. If you look at the small plant, when I bought the plants, they had this little plastic thing stuck in the, in the, in the dirt. I picked it up, and on the back of it said, care and nurturing of this plant. And it said, you can use this type of fertilizer, use this, this. And it says, they, get, they, get, um, they're, they're, they thrive in a lot of sunlight. So I said, put them somewhere where they'll get a lot of sunlight throughout the day. But it actually said, do not overwater. And matter of fact, it gave instruction. It said, when you water it, basically put down a heavy layer of water that soaks down into the ground, then leave it alone for a couple of days. But see, the thing is, what if I came in every day and I just saturate, I'm going to soak this ground. These things are going to grow. All that water could have killed it. So you need to know what are you nurturing and what are you cultivating and growing in your life. Some things you've got to give a little more attention to your life because it takes more effort to make them grow. And then other things, you just do them in stages. Okay, I'll do a little bit now. All right, I'm leaving it alone. I can't be all obsessed and hovering over it the whole time. I'll get it started. I'll let it sit a little bit. But here's the thing. If you're doing and embarking and establishing multiple things, you can coordinate your schedule in such a way that, okay, I can just put this in motion and it'll need a little while to grow. Like your finance, you, you're investing in something. I'll, I'll start the thing off. Okay, now I'll leave it alone. I ain't going to meddle with it every five seconds. I'll use that time instead of obsessing over this to focus and nurture this because this needs more hands-on daily interaction. Amen? So in other words, you could be fruitful in multiple things, but you need to coordinate how you manage your time and your attention to each one. But if you do it in the right way, all of them can thrive and grow and produce the harvest that you anticipated. But if you have too much obsession or time on one, you can neglect the other one and cause it to die off or you give this one too much attention <laughs> and you kill it off the whole time you're obsessing over it. 
Amen? So we need to be watchful about that. Other things, some things actually need to be nursed for a while before you can expose them to elements. That's why sometimes uh, nurse, nurseries and places that have plants, they'll actually keep them in a, green, in a greenhouse for a while. Keep them in an insulated environment. You know, it's not ready to go out into the world and be exposed to all the elements yet. So I'm going to nurture, nurture this one inside for a while before I put it out there fully exposed. Certain things in our lives, you might want to unveil it to the world right away because you're excited. But by you unveiling it too soon or before it's matured enough or stable enough, you may actually kill it because it can't handle the elements. <laughs> elements of the enemy's attacks and, and elements of people coming against it. That's why it kind of gets me sometimes, people on Facebook, oh, I got this going on. I say, you need to shut your mouth. Got people praying against it, coming against it. <laughs> Stop putting all your mess up out there. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm saying, oh, Lord, sometimes I could just, I could do color commentary. I just stop myself. I just, <laughs> there'd be a site, enemies of Brian from Because <laughs> it's some of the stuff that people put out there, like, Seriously? What's wrong with you? Because they want to expose everybody thing because everybody wants five minutes of fame or 15 minutes of fame. You get fame, but it's more like infamy than fame. But everybody knows about you. Everybody knows you're a fool. That's a lot of stuff I've seen out there. Everybody, everybody posting videos. Oh, little Johnny and this and that. And like, oh God. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> just a lot of nonsense. And some people are so dumb, they like post themselves, oh, you know, oh, two women fighting in a wall. Y'all realize this goes to court. They got evidence right there with both your faces clearly on it. No common sense, but you're going to be famous. As you show one here in New Jersey, I think it was two stores within minutes got robbed, and it's like all on camera. The guy just walking through the store, just chilling. I was like, wow, you're going to rob a place. Multiple places with cameras, and then he had a, the, the sense of mind to like try to cover his face. He just all up in the camera. They just wait for somebody to identify him. <laughs> You're famous, though. You made the news tonight. <laughs> so anyway, some things take nurturing. Amen? You must nurture the things you're planning. And you have to realize that everything is important that God has you endeavoring in. Amen. And even just because you focus on one thing a little more than another doesn't mean that you don't care about them. It just means that they need different types of attention and they may only be able to handle certain types of exposure. Amen. We can look at that in the human body. There's certain parts of our body that are external, that are visible all the time. But then that doesn't take away the fact that our vital organs in, inside of us are crucial to existence. You don't see them unless, we don't see them unless it's an x-ray or ultrasound or a surgeon sees them close hand. But just because you don't see them outwardly on a daily basis doesn't mean that they aren't important. This shell that we see on the outside, really if you think about it, it's the least important part. It's very easy to care for. A little soap and water most of the time, maybe a band-aid or a stitch here and there. But that stuff inside of you, you don't take care of it, get the casket ready or the crematorium. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27. For the body is not one member, but many. 
If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. If they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But now have God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Hallelujah. So we see here that all the different things in our lives, our, our bodies, our members, our relationships with each other, each one of these things are unique and precious in the sight of God, even if they seem to be insignificant. And as this relates to the things that we're nurturing and growing and planning in our lives, even if you're planning something small, the Word of God says, you know, God tells us not to despise small beginnings. Amen? So it might seem to be a little thing, but it could explode into something that's truly, truly huge. And even in terms of our dreams and visions, we may think, well, I had this huge thing that I envisioned to be by the time I'm X number of years. And God places on your heart, well, do this thing. You'd be like, that's not even important. Nobody ever noticed anything like that. That's so insignificant. Well, God might say, I want you to focus on that little, what you're calling insignificant thing, because it's going to set the stage for you to get here. It might be through the maturity and the efforts you had to put through to get through it. It might be through the problems you overcome that enabled you to learn to trust in me or relationships with others, and that would be the other thing. It might just be the things that you're doing in that small thing that cultivates relationships that open the door for these other things. Amen? So we cannot, you know, put a, a measuring rod on what we think is important versus uh, significant, and as we're trying to produce a great, harvest we have to realize that whether it's large or big whether it seems to be incredible or eh, just one of those things we need to nurture those things that God is having us plant into our lives and embark upon in our lives amen so that we can produce an abundant harvest out of all these things I talked about my own my grandparents and the big thing on the farm in North Carolina was tobacco and they had the tractors. We used to ride on the tractors and everything. It was real cool. And fields, like, huge. Um, the tractors, they had hound dogs that, you know, went hunting sometime and uh, got rabbits. They had chicken out front. You know, we used to walk out. Um, we used to get out of the car, coming from New Jersey down to North Carolina. We got out of the car, and it wasn't like they had the chicken coop, 
but it wasn't like you only had to go there to see the chicken. The, the, the chickens were just out and open. You're walking in, you're like, chickens, get away, you know. The chickens are all there. They had, they had hogs. They had pigs. They had donkeys. You know, like I said, they had the big tobacco field. They had pear trees. They had strawberry patch. They had apple trees. They had all these different things. And the, the funny thing about it was that even though they had all these different things, which, you, which would make you think, like, how in the world can you, imagine, can you manage tobacco field, pear trees, apple trees, strawberry patch, chickens, hogs, pigs, <laughs> hound dogs, hunting for rabbits? How do you do all that stuff over the course of a given day? But somehow they learned how to nurture all the things so they could prosper and grow. Amen? I'm not saying they, they did have a few people that share cropped on the property with them. Amen? They gave them a place to, like, build a house, and they lived there, and they helped with the fields. But the re reality is that even with that assistance, it just seemed like too huge a deal for anybody to be able to manage. Yet somehow they did it until they finally died. So somehow, in other words, they learned how to take all these different things of different sizes and determination to manage and cultivate and grow and they somehow found a way over the course of the day to make it all work. I'm not saying they didn't get up early in the morning and early to bed as they say in the farm life but somehow they found a way to manage all those different seemingly unrelated things to provide a symmetry where everything worked together and everything thrived. And it's the same thing with each one of our lives. Amen. We may have a bunch of things going on. Some things take more focus and attention. Some things are harder to cultivate and grow and manage. But if we really seek him, he'll show us the proper way to plan and manage it so that everything can prosper and grow. And that's what God wants for us to do. Amen. Last thing I'm going to show today is um, an image in a verse. <laughs> I don't know how well y'all can, hopefully y'all can see this good. It's basically a tree there in the middle. And you'll see these long sticks. This is what's referred to as staking. It's called staking. S-T-A-K-I-N-G. And the reason people do staking is that sometimes you could plant a, you could plant down a seed to make a plant grow or you can get a sapling and put it in the ground and it's a thriving plant is viable it's not going to die and it will grow and it might grow like leaps and bounds from the time that you first plant it but here's the thing sometimes you could plant stuff and it could thrive but it might grow incorrectly so in order to make that thing grow up straight and stable so it's not tilting one way or curved the wrong way. You'll stake it and, and keep these things attached to it to force it to grow up straight until the time that it's mature enough to stand on its own up straight, and then you'll take the stakes off. Amen? And it's the same thing in our lives. There's certain things in our lives that you want them to grow, you want them to be stable, you want them to grow straight and pointing straight to your goals and your endeavors. You don't want them to deviate off course. You don't want them to be twisted. You want to make sure that they grow, but they grow a certain way to get you to your destination. 
So you can't always just say, oh, I'll just water and nurse it. I'll give enough sunlight. Sometimes you got to be a little more hands-on to say, I'm going to force you to grow in the right direction. And I'm not saying it's necessarily a painful or aggressive or a mean-spirited thing, but some things you got to be a little more direct in how you guide it to ensure that it gets to where you're targeting it. So with this process of staking with a tree, they're basically attaching things on, on opposite sides that each one of those um, chains or rope, probably ropes, that are with those stakes, they're all pulling at it from different angles with the same amount of pressure to force it to stay straight and go straight up as it's growing. So they're applying pressure. Sometimes you've got to apply pressure to something to make it go in the right direction. And like I said, it might seem mean, oh, nobody likes pressure. But that pressure is forcing that thing to grow up straight. And see, growing up straight also gives it longevity. If that tree starts curving off to the side and leaning the wrong way, the city might have to come in and say, oh, we got to cut it down. It's leaning over the road. Or a storm might come where the ground gets too saturated and it comes up by the roots because of the weight of it tilting forces it to have too much pressure leaning in one direction. But when you force it to go up straight, that thing just keeps going higher and higher and higher, and it stays going. And it's certain s at a certain point, you actually take the stakes off, and it will, at that point, be rooted and stable so much that it will grow the rest of the way straight on its own. But sometimes on the initial process, you have to force it to go the right direction by applying a little bit of pressure. Same thing in our lives, amen? Some things you can't just sit back, all right, I planted it. I'll just nurture it and just keep it moving. Some things you've got to know, I've got to guide this thing. And it might mean applying a little bit of pressure, but I'm going to guide this thing to make sure it goes into the right direction. And then once it gets to the point that it's now kind of like on autopilot, okay, I can back off some of the pressure. Now I can see it's heading the right way. So here's our final verse for the day. Hebrews 12:11 through 13. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I actually used to see this. I saw this a couple times in, in childhood that uh, we had this one guy, I can't remember his name now, but he had like this orthopedic shoe. They, and they said they put it on him because if they didn't do it, his legs were, weren't, weren't equal. So it's basically um, ensuring that his legs would eventually, with some pressures they applied to him um, periodically, that he would eventually go off straight and he would, have to, he, he would be able to eventually stop using those shoes. But he said another thing about it too is that the shoes not only did that, but they also forced his feet to point out the right way because he would have started kind of walking with his feet tilted in. So he had corrective shoes to force his feet to grow up straight and pointing in the right direction. Amen. So same with us. There might be certain things in our lives that we've planted or we're planning to plant and God wants them to, to go in the right direction. But sometimes he's got to come in and correct us. Sometimes he uses other people to correct us. And sometimes we got to submit ourselves unto the process God puts us in to force those things that would go off course to be aligned back straight. But we see here, the end result is if we, if we kept going off course, we could, be, we could end up with 
drooping hands, poor posture, feeble knees, which is a weakened condition. And we see here, we could actually be lame, you know, result and be crippled. God says these things, that, pleasure, that pressure, even though it's not pleasurable right now, it said it leads to us being healed and growing up straight. And then the final result, it yieldeth the, fe- the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You actually get straightened out through the process. And I'll close with this. I actually went through the process. I didn't go through it with orthopedic shoes, but I went through a process uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, I think it was early teens. I was running one day out in the park. We were playing football. And somebody threw me the ball, and there was a few people um, in front of me defending, you know, the opposite goal on the other team. So I caught the ball, and I ran, and I scored a touchdown. And after I scored a touchdown, I looked back, and one of the guys was closest to me. And I was like, man, good hit. I said, I felt that. He said, what are you talking about? I said, good hit. I said, somebody popped me good. He said, man, nobody touched, nobody laid a finger on you. He said, you caught the ball right, winning the goal, nobody touched you. I said, no. I said, somebody, somebody hit me good. I said, that hurt for a second. He, and they were like, nobody touched you. So anyway, we played the rest of the day. I kept playing until we finished the game. I go home, and I get into the house, and my mom's like, what's wrong? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're limping. I said, no, I'm not. She said, yes, you are. I said, mom, I'm not limping. I'm fine. She said, go, go over to the mirror. She said, you're limping. So I go, we had this full-length mirror because she was a seamstress. I go over to the mirror, and, and I'm like this. I'm literally like this. I'm like, what the heck? So I bend my knee, and my right leg is there. And I was like, huh. I straighten my left leg, and my foot's back on the air. I was like, what the heck? I can't, like, get my right foot to the ground unless I bend my knee. So she takes me to the doctor, and they said that I had um, contracted hip muscle. So when I thought somebody popped me good, nobody did touch me. My hip muscle contracted, and I felt the pain from it. And what happened is the muscle contracted, and it stayed there. So it resulted in my right leg being a half inch shorter than my, um, like, like a half, I think they said a half inch shorter than my left leg. So I actually had to go to, um, at the time it was still called Mount Holly Hospital. They put me in the hospital for a week, and they basically had me strapped up with, um, like they had my leg elevated and they had like weights going across this pulley that basically stretched my hip muscle out. Then they told me after I came out of the hospital, I couldn't walk for two weeks because with them stretching the muscle, my hip would be weak. So I had to come out and do two weeks of crutches. And then after that, I probably did one week, knowing my stubbornness. But I think I did a week, <laughs> and I probably limped. I ran with a little pain for the following week, but I was fine <laughs> after that. <laughs> but in order to make me straight, they had to apply pressure, literally applied pressure of continuous weight on my hip for a week to stretch that muscle out. So it hurt some, especially when they first started doing it. It hurt. Then it finally felt better. And the thing is, there's this one kid in the room. I, I remember this. There's three kids in the room. This one kid was just a total annoyance, talking trash continuously, and he kept tormenting this other kid that was in the other bed. And finally, he just kept talking trash. I was like, leave him alone. And he wouldn't leave him alone. So I wasn't supposed to do this. I detached my pulley. I'd start jumping on my bed because I literally was going to go over to clock him and get it back in bed. As soon as my foot touched the floor, like, oh! I get back in bed, so now he's laughing at me. <laughs> so I had some pressure. I got stretched in a way that necessarily didn't feel good. I had to suffer the pain that I literally couldn't use that leg for a couple of weeks because it now was, I guess, too tender from the pulling. 
But the end result of the pressure and the pain was that eventually, at, you know, after a few weeks, I was back to normal. So sometimes you need pressure and pain, and it was grievous. <laughs> I did not want to be in the hospital for a week with all my family at home and all my friends out there having fun. But the end result was that that which was lamed, my leg being shorter, got healed. Amen? And sometimes that's something we have to go to so, or go through. So God would have us, like I said, dealing with the early part of this year. Let's look at the seeds we're planting. Let's look at the attachments that we have on us or we've attached to other people. Let's look at the things that he's told us to cultivate and grow this season and how we've tended to them. How have we exposed the things that are in our life? Is it, and is it the proper season? These are the sort of things we could pray about. And if we're in unfruitful ground, take them seeds and plant them somewhere else. If we have ungodly attachments or unfruitful attachments, maybe it's just time to take the attachment away. And also in terms of us acting, interacting with other people, what seeds are we planted? And then what is the ripple effect of where they could have gone and spread and multiply? Amen? Hallelujah. But I'm really believing God that as we evaluate and pray and make any necessary adjust adjustments, we would get to the end of 2014, we'll be like, yes, this is an incredible year with an abundant harvest. And the thing is, not only can we say it was an abundant year with a great harvest, but going back to the principle of the seed, if that's the harvest that's great this year, whoa, what in the world am I in for for next year? Because what I put out there this year that gave me this, wow, it's going to multiply and grow in ways I can't even imagine. That's incredible. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus.